Just in and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find? Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Buddies, me, Doctor Bruiser McNeely, Holden McNeely, Jake. Think about your dad. What's your dad like? <laughs> I want to meet that dad. Do 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 do, Bruiser Jake. <laughs> and, that, and that's probably might be one of the weirdest intros we've ever done. And that's probably because we're doing an episode on Tim and Eric. Awesome show. Good job. And the um, the this show that changed the landscape of of comedy, I think, as we know it, um, and for I, better and for worse. Yes, yeah, some would say for better and for worse. I would say I, you know, look, I may have been consumed with jealousy about the career trajectory of these. Hold it, no, we can't gentlemen. do another episode where we talk about your. Uh, maligned yet, I would say still very uh, influential and semi-successful sketch comedy troupe. <laughs> well, we you can't know, do this again. No, but I, I will say that, and I think that, you know, I literally just said this to Jake, but I'm going to repeat it. We recently have done shows where people really early on, in my opinion, like, especially comedy people that figured out the internet. Rooster Teeth, Homestar Runner, and I think Tim and Eric falls in the same category. They kind of figured out the internet and just where comedy was going in general on Adult Swim so hard and so well that I look at it and I'm just like, damn, y'all, killed it. And I reflect on my own comedy career. But I will also say, you know, I've been doing some sketches at the end of this Dunecast podcast that I'm doing with Henry, and it's gotten me, you know, it's definitely rejuvenated me doing this episode and doing that work as well with the idea of, yes, I am going to return to doing sketch comedy, especially as things open up all over the country and the world and we can start doing weird shows in weird spaces. I literally had lunch with Henry and Ed the other day to discuss uh, our live show and what we plan to do as a regular show out here in LA. And uh, it's really inspiring watching the work of Tim and Eric and realizing that, hey, it holds up. That was one of the biggest uh, reliefs that I felt having watched a ton of awesome show for the first time in well over a decade at this point. Um, and yeah, the bits hold up, the weirdness holds up, the uh, targets hold up. I, the fact is, is you know, they're in their 40s now. Like, I'm about to hit the big 4-0 in a couple of years. Like, like we are of that same era. And it really feels like the 
well of influences that they had, like kind of the background radiation that influenced their work and the kind of trends that they were reacting to when they were kind of forging their voice is something that resonates with me because, I mean, Holden, I'm going to get into my own fucking butthole about how Tim and Eric fits into the literary and artistic tradition of the grotesque and the theater of the absurd and how like Dadaism and all these like all these weird art movements are always in response to like a great societal hypocrisy. It's always kind of comes bubbling to the surface in reaction to a global event that makes people kind of truly appreciate that, like, nothing really means anything. And we're all just like gross meatbags pretending that we're not. And the core to the Tim and, T- Tim and Eric experience, I feel, is just this, like, deconstruction of what TV is. Because the reason why they use so many public access uh, motifs, I genuinely feel like, is it's one of the few t- times where, like, the rules of TV are broken. You're seeing ugly people. You're seeing human weakness. You're seeing bad edits. You're seeing just like the truth of humanity on your fantasy box in a way that you are not supposed to, in a way that you are shielded from at all other times. Yep. And it's really raw and it's really fun. And it makes you feel like in a way you're a part of the world almost that, especially if you're incredibly high, which you should be when you watch this show, but you think you, it does, you do also at the same time because of that effect. And I think podcasts, which would soon come as well, give that same vibe of like, well, I feel like I'm like friends with these guys. And that this is like our basement time that we have together where we just come up with ridiculous ass ideas and, oh and my you God. know, make each other just like gut laugh while we're, you know, sharing a, Bowl of weed, let's just say. Tim and Eric makes you laugh in a way that, like, only the best abstract art does, where it establishes a vocabulary and a rhythm that is not readily apparent, and you have to kind of learn the language, and then once you're in, you're part of an in-group. 100%. And that's one of the biggest, uh, I guess, criticisms of Tim and Eric, is the idea that it's, like, too cool for school, that, like... This kind of standoffish, like, well, you don't, if you don't get it, you're not in the club kind of attitude that um, famously, there's a review by Roger Ebert, of all people, of their movie, which a lot of people didn't like the movie, but he especially goes in hard on them for the idea that, like, oh no, I get it. I get it. I just think it's bad. How dare you think I don't get it for thinking it's bad? (laughs) Uh, By the way, this episode is an old Patreon-sponsored episode. Of course, we don't offer this tier anymore, but this is how this one goes way back. We have a couple of these left to do, and this comes in from McKenzie. McKenzie says, and this is hilarious because I'm sure this anniversary happened like at least twice now, uh, dedicated to my sister and brother-in-law, Austin and uh, Kirsten, for their second anniversary back in October. This might be their third at this point back in October. October. Tim and Eric is part of what brought them together, and Austin actually proposed at a Tim and Eric live show, so that's amazing. Aww. So thank you so much for that, and thanks for your patience on us getting this one out. You know, I maybe just stared down the into the abyss at this one because I know how good this is and I know and I just want to be I I have that same feeling of like God, I feel like I would be in with these guys, coming up with this stuff, and with that whole family, that alt-comedy family, of course, we'll also talk about... absolutely productions empire that has been built in its wake. The the and talking about, too, how they were discovered by Bob Odenkirk. Bob Odenkirk was my 
comedy like idol growing up. I Mr. Show is what inspired me to start doing sketch comedy. Um, and uh, yeah, of course, obviously Bob Odenkirk. It's so funny too that now he's known as like the Breaking Bad guy because for me, like he was literally the king of sketch. My favorite sketch from childhood was the McFoley motivational speaker sketch. He actually wrote that and gave it to Chris Farley to perform. He's That's just, because that angry voice, that yeah. classic overbearing angry voice is like Bob Odenkirk. It's totally. ironic you're a Bob Odenkirk guy because I'm a David Cross guy. Okay. Because in the 2000s, <laughs> my pinnacle of comedy was just a extremely pissed off rant about the Bush administration. Sure. Yeah. And I get that too. And I'm also, you know, of course loved uh, uh, David Cross's work as well, but yeah, always love the absurdity and just the goofiness of a lot of Bob Odenkirk's stuff. And I loved his, you know, the voice, his addition to Mr. Show. You can, once you, again, talk about understanding a comedy language, like once you watch enough Mr. Show, you really start to understand what was a Bob Odenkirk idea and what was a David Cross idea. And it's really, their, their combo is really great. And someday we will, I'm sure do, an episode on uh, Mr. Show with Bob and David, but all that is to say, let's talk about Tim and Eric. Awesome show. Good job. A sketch comedy series created by and starring Tim Heidecker and Eric Warheim that ran on Adult Swim from 2007 to 2010 and has since been associated with creating a new wave of comedy that innovated the genre for years to come. And I think one thing that it's unfairly described as is as is alt or anti-comedy and they Mm -hmm. resent that and I resent that because watching it again and yes there are some scenes definitely I was just watching one that gave me like weird um you know, just anxiety. Anxiety. Like sometimes they test your patience on stuff. Though I think it was uh, Dr. Steve Brule was supposed to review a talk about a video game and he can't remember the name of it. And like <laughs> they just keep going back and forth and you're just, and they're just like, it has a shield and some rubies in it. And uh, just the way the editing is and everything, it just it feels like um, a bit of an <laughs> anxiety fit. Uh, but for the most part, I feel like honestly, they're just going for the laugh. And the, you know, and I was laughing out loud plenty watching uh, the the rewatching the Tim and Eric stuff. Oh, by the way, all of it's on HBO Max as well. But I don't think it's it's anti anti comedy at all. I think some moments test the audience, but um, yeah, it re- it actually is really gleefully funny. I think for the most part, there's a certain. I, I will submit that there is a certain level of uh, sadness uh, again yeah. within the tradition of the grotesque. You're supposed to feel. A like anxious, uncanny bizarreness to sure. the forms in front of you, as well as for a ton of and uh, a ton of Tim and Eric sketches, a real dose of sympathetic pity. Uh, I'm thinking of the uh, Carol and Mister Henderson oeuvre of sketches, uh-huh. where you know uh, Eric is playing this obese woman in love with her boss, who is a raging asshole and who treats her like humiliates her, like threatens to throw coffee at her, and. Besides the fact that, like, lol, these ugly people are, like, horny, there's also this, like, genuine, like, sympathetic sadness to, like, the lives of people caught up in our society. And, you know, kind of this, you know, they're at once alien and ugly and bad and and we should, like, make fun of them. But also, like, they have a weird dignity to them and you want to be and they don't deserve their unhappiness. Yeah, completely. I think that actually taps into as well. One thing that I taught a lot when I was doing like very early low level sketch comedy writing classes 
uh, which is the element of surprise. And this show kills it with that. And I think it, even when you speak towards its uh, ability to get dark or sa- genuinely sympathetic and sad is actually another way that they emulate the element of surprise in everything that they do. It just never goes the way you ever <laughs> expected to. And that also is with the editing as well, which we'll talk about the... Um, Amazing innovations in comedy editing that also just happened to go down with this amazing show. Let's talk about, let's get back to uh, Tim Heidecker and Eric Warheim. Let's talk about their uh, their whole fucking bullshit. Two weirdos from Pennsylvania. Yep. Uh, yes, both of them were born and raised in Pennsylvania. They didn't meet each other until they both went to Temple University for film in 1994, which is located in, of course, Philadelphia. The only thing I could find about their childhoods was one uh, interviewer tracked down a newspaper clipping from an Audubon uh, high school where Eric Warheim, who is a very uh, Wareheim, I think I, I, I'm going to say it wrong the whole time, uh, is a very tall man. You think yes. Tim's just short, but no, it's Eric is a gargantuan human being, uh, was the first high school student in his high school to successfully do a slam dunk. And he got to be on the basketball team because he was tall. And that made local news when he was a high school. <laughs> so once they get to college, yeah, I didn't find really anything on their childhood. But once they get to college, Eric said, we would constantly be getting these assignments and Tim and I would just say no to them and deliver them a video that was about something totally different. And the material would still garner A's from the teacher. They uh, then set up timanderic.com in order to put up their sketches. Uh, right after college, too, it should be noted, Eric Warheim started doing these uh, bar mitzvah videos. And he was working with this antiquated camera equipment, a lot of that lo-fi technique that you see, especially this stuff you see in the initial season of Tim and Eric, uh, awesome show, good job. Is, We're talking star wipes, yeah, cross star fades, wipes, all that rotating shit. cube transitions. All, Ooh, they love a rotating cube transition. That's all, like, now we look at it as put upon, like, fake old school mm-hmm. technique, but that was actually the techniques he was using genuinely when he was making these bar mitzvah videos and just instilled them into the TV show. And then they got weirder and, you know, they got, they leaned into it harder and harder. And eventually once you get to, um, uh, once you get to the Steve Brule show, check it out with Steve Brule. They're actually purposely feeding their their stuff into a video cassette player and like hitting the cassette the 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 to VCR to get the tracking off and to get those glitches, yeah, get and those skips little jumps and stuff. Like they're they're trying to emulate essentially what the raw stuff that Eric's working with uh, early on in his career. It's also important to point out that uh, as a bar mitzvah videographer. In Pennsylvania in the 90s. <laughs> sounds like you know a little ex- bit about it. it sounds like you I have some might have been a coastal Jew. That might have <laughs> been my life. Uh, he was exposed to a level of like bourgeois decadence and desperation and silent horror that I don't think will ever be equaled. <laughs> where it is like this the ludicrousness of a 90s bar mitzvah video. Yeah. Where like this misshapen lump of a Jewish like tween is like being presented as a new adult and like with like isn't she lovely oh, playing God. over baby photos and like you uh, know those parents were like in screaming arguments with each other before the, like the b-roll footage of them playing was taken right like it really speaks to a 
a bourgeois desperation that he got a front row seat for. Yeah, and I, maybe that, that Did is... Did I say I was going to be up my butthole with the analysis in this <laughs> if episode? If you want to because... hear two comedy nerds be very up their buttholes for an episode <laughs> of a podcast, you have come to the right place because everybody knows that everyone knows that everyone loves to listen to two <laughs> comedy nerds get right up their buttholes. Do we mention we're white bearded guys? Uh, yeah, that Ooh, is also going on It right covers now. our weak chins. We don't have a choice. <laughs> Uh, yes, yeah, so they're they're definitely picking up. I mean, actually, I think that speaks towards too the the awkwardness of a lot of their material as well, and the, finding the comedy in the in in awkwardness. They uh, they ended up setting up timanderic.com and they're putting up these just these sketches they're working on. I saw one quote where they were just like, "We had normal day jobs, and we were just meeting up on weekends and making these things just instead of like watching sports and like partying. We were just." That's what they did for a hobby at first, really, without any intention of we're going to turn this into a TV show or anything like that. Um, But they end up creating this web cartoon called Tom Goes to the Mayor, which they also put up on their site. Eric said, we didn't have enough money or the skills to actually make a live action TV show. So we just, Tim had this idea to make this sort of filtered cartoon with our voices and so they're not even animators either they're just figuring out some weird workaround to just get material up and out and uh, again really reminds me a lot of Homestar Runner which we just covered just getting just just any way to get their voice up on a site so they can share it and um, you know spread it around and eventually they end up this mythical tape this was something that I knew about at, at mm. Back in Murder Fist, and was like, "How do we do that? How do <laughs> this is the best? I, I I can't believe how brilliant this idea is. It's so ridiculous. It's such a wild swing. At the same time, they send a tape with uh, Tom goes to the mayor on it. Um, I'm not sure if it had other material on it or not, but I know it had Tom goes to the mayor. They send it over to Bob Odenkirk. They're like us, big comedy nerds, hugely influenced. I'm sure by Mr. Show, things like that. Want to try to get the support of someone. You know, he's kind of an and that's a big thing to know about Mr. Show. It's kind of like this alt comedy scene, like pinnacle, essentially. You know what I mean? Like it, it really was such a statement of what was going on in LA. Tenacious D, you know, Bob and David, of course. You had so many people. Um, uh, I'm forgetting everyone's names right now. Pat Oswalt, Brian Hussein, Brian Paul Tompkins. It was like every huge alt comedy person figure was at some point in a Mr. Show sketch. So it makes sense they would send it over to him. And this tape, Tim said, we sort of thought, well, why don't we send our tapes to the people we like and see what they think we should do? And we sent one to Bob Odenkirk from Mr. Show and Breaking Bad. Now, to get his attention, we included an invoice for the DVD that we sent him. Eric said it was an unsolicited package and we put our own headshots in there and we charged him like $150 for the whole thing. Tim said, so we expect to, so we expect to receive this he called me and was like who are you what is this this i like this and that sort of just opened the door so uh, just uh, incredible uh ingenuity that i i just never would have thought the <laughs> and and audacity it's so funny so yeah babo and kirk helps them they move to la they uh fall in immediately with the alt comedy scene especially the nascent channel 101 scene which was this uh i don't know i, gu- I guess it technically is still happening I think it's but- definitely still happening yeah but it was uh, started by Dan Harmon, Rob Schrab, uh, people like... In fact, uh, I believe I just did Ghosters, I think is on Channel 101. Check out Ghosters. Uh, my boy, Andrew, uh, uh, he's working on that. I just did a cameo on that, and I believe it is on Channel 101. So yeah, it's still totally happening. 
So yeah, uh, the Lonely Island got their start through them. Like they, this was a breeding ground for these like funny alternative TV show ideas. Um, there's a few old clips. Tom Goes to the Mayor, I think, was initially submitted as one of the pilots. Uh, My Two Fathers is on there. But uh, also Justin Roiland of uh, Rick and Morty also was a huge contributor to that scene. So, like, they're getting in the mix. They're, like, working with uh, Bob Odenkirk. They're just, like, collaborating with other uh, emerging voices in the L.A. comedy scene. And they're just kind of making it work. But uh, they don't have much success in Channel 101. And it really takes off for them when they officially sell Tom Goes to the Mayor to Adult Swim. Yes. Um, And so Adult Swim, yeah, Adult Swim picks up Tom Goes to the Mayor and uh, it ends up going up in the programming block in 2004, and it runs for 30 episodes. I was surprised to see that it ran for so many episodes, especially because Adult Swim has described it as, quote, one of the most polarizing shows they've ever ran. And it centers around Tom Peters, who just moved to Jefferson, a run downtown, and regularly goes to the mayor with different ideas for its betterment, which the mayor always screws up. It has a limited animation style, as we said. They just take these photos. They... Um, Filter it using the photocopy image filter in Adobe Photoshop. Just gives it that weird monochromatic blue and white copy copy machine look. Speckled zero. Yeah. Eric said, I actually got a lot of software to make Tim and Eric stuff for making bar mitzvah videos. That's why the editing on the early stuff is so rudimentary and shitty because I would use the same filters and effects in some of the cameras I had from doing that work, as we mentioned before. But there's the quote from him about it. Uh, It was uh, also Eric had this to say in the beginning, Lazo, Mike Lazo, we talked about by the way check out our adult swim episode if you want to really get more in on that uh that is definitely mike lazo of course is like kind of the godfather of the whole thing uh he was the uh the head of the adult swim and it's especially in it's like burgeoning uh heyday yeah in the beginning lazo was really involved and really helped us define tom goes to the mayor he really knows his shit Tim and I can easily derail a whole TV show into madness, and he's really great about saying, okay, bring this back a little bit here. And that does that must be fascinating, because I can only imagine what it's like trying to creatively rein in Tim and Eric, especially like at the earliest stage, when they were really just, you know, there was, you know, after they had really, before they had really gotten some seasons of, uh, of content out there. You know, that must have been well, insane. It's interesting. There's an interview with... Uh Bob Odenkirk, uh, Tim and Eric from like 2006, I believe, right before season two of Tom Goes to the Mayor comes out. And they were describing how they were already bored with the format with Tom goes to the mayor with an idea and then chaos ensues. And they really had to get real, even though Lazo has this uh, reputation for being a artist's first uh, hands off executive the team at Adult Swim really helped them reel it in because they were already veering into Goo Goo Gaga, awesome show, madness. And at this point, I mean, 2004's early. I mean, I think that Adult Swim content has gotten way crazier even yeah. than that eventually, but this probably was the craziest thing on the network at that point. It's interesting. I mean, it's weirdly wholesome uh, in a lot of ways. It's kind of interesting watching Tom Goes to the Mayor now because Tim Heidecker has kind of built his career uh, kind of leaning super hard into these, like, I'm just going to say nightmarishly asshole-ish figures. Like, everyone from his character in the in the movie The Comedy to his persona in the On Cinema web series. Like, and even in uh, Awesome Show, he relishes playing these, like, actively volatile, toxic, 
aggressively grading people. And in Tom Goes to the Mayor, he's so like docile and takes so many things in stride and he's so put upon. It's like very weird to watch. Some of my favorite episodes are uh, Rats Off to You, where he has a, the whole premise is based on the idea that this terrible t-shirt design is taking the world by storm. And uh, Tom gets the idea stolen by uh, Jeff Green, of all people. There's just this like rhythm to it. And uh, this, again, these early hints of they love just everybody in Jefferton is just this hulking, acne star scarred, mouth breathing a troglodyte of an American that like is just sleepwalking their way through existence. And like the disdain for a struggling town in America is readily apparent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Justin and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom rack store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, free people and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. How they get, okay, how they get from this show to good, to awesome show Good Job is a little crazy to me I guess I mean I guess they're just like give us the next thing and then they're like this next thing is just called Tim and Eric awesome show great job and it's complete chaos and we're just gonna throw it at you so the first hint of what awesome show was gonna be is uh they need an intern to help with production yes uh and they hire a guy called Doug Lusenhop. Doug Lusenhop started out as a videographer that would transfer private Super 8 films to video shoot weddings and do freelance stuff for PR companies. So just like Warheim, he too is experimenting with all of this stuff that he's using for his day job and creating these weird remix edits and just taking all the stuff that he's using and just creating all these weird wipes with it and doing bizarre stuff. So yeah. If you want to know how proto to internet comedy this Doug is... Uh, he worked with Eric Fensler to create the G.I. Joe PSAs, if you hell remember yeah. those from from Web 1.0. Yeah, hell yeah. And so so he answers this Craigslist ad. Yeah. yeah and, and it's to do a comedy show, but it's like as an intern, very low level. But t- Tim and Eric also want somebody to document them making um, Tom Goes to the Mayor. So on that gig, he gets to create this little mini documentary and he adds his editing flair, all this stuff that he's been messing with that you eventually see in Awesome Show, Good Job. And they like it so much, they end up airing it as an actual episode and that, and then hiring him on. There are some live action elements to Tom Goes to the Mayor as the show goes on and he got to edit those together and that is totally the proto Awesome Show. I love this quote from Lusson Hop, and I think this is what makes, honestly, the show as good as it is. 
There's a million ways to get an extra joke out of something just through editing. Comedy is basically all timing and messing with expectations and surprises and stuff. A lot of times, I'll get something and it's funny on the page, but then it's not coming across. So you cut part of it short or let something roll for too long or add the perfect sound effect. There's so many ways to do it. You just have to find a new way each time. If you see a punchline coming a mile away, you either just cut the punchline and put something different in or freeze frame. In the editing, you can keep polishing a moment until it turns into something unexpected. Uh, one of the, I think, Hallmark, Doug Lusenhop, uh, Lusenhop, I'm never going to say it right. I'm not going to say any like, last names I, you, It's like we've switched places, Jake, where I am saying things correctly for once, and you are saying them completely impossible. Honestly, it's all these soft consonants that are throwing me off. Warheim, Wareheim, Lusenhop, Lusenhop. If this was in Japanese, I'd be doing great. <laughs> You'd be killing it, and I'd be like, Nietzsche. I'd be like Chris Farley <laughs> in the in the um, Japanese game show sketch. Nietzsche, Loki, T. Uh... The uh, Omama sketch mm. was shot as a traditional sketch with Tim and Eric uh, as like little schoolboys, and they were making fun of like weird kid energy. And the mom would come down, and the sketch just was not working. Just the jokes weren't landing. Just nothing about it was working. And from just the raw footage, they cut together a completely new piece of video art where they just found one clip of them saying Omama, and then just had. B-roll of them like breaking up the set and <laughs> it just created this like intensely memorable mindworm of a moment of television uh and like that's kind of the next level that the editing brought to awesome show. He talks about that and I'll get more into this in a second cuz I, I my always my favorite part of any of these episodes is talking about process. But he talks about how some of the ideas would go into a category called I believe what was it tone piece. <laughs> and a tone piece is what it sounds it's like it's not necessarily a specific joke or a specific concept. It's like something else that just adds to the overall tone of the show and its bizarreness and it's you know it's strange it's strange just ele- using elements of surprise and all that stuff, just putting something out there that just makes people go like, ugh. Um, yeah, so so they get uh, giving him the freedom that they gave him is like really incredible. In terms of their humor approach, um, Eric said, basically, they're just mimicking what we love back in Philly, which is people on cable access, people that almost shouldn't be on camera, you know, that had that true awkwardness. Tim said, yeah, Try to create the authenticity that makes you feel like maybe this really is one of those, you know, local car commercials or something. When we're coming up with the idea, we think, what is the style of this? What would, uh, what world does this live in, public access or otherwise? And the look is dependent on that. If we're going to use lo-fi, a lo-fi look now, there's got to be a justification. And I think also I like this uh, just little statement. They've said in the past they find the awkwardness of a show like The Office and the awkwardness of a David Lynch film to be equally as hilarious. And I think you get both of those. So The Office is this mundane, everyday human interaction awkwardness. And David Lynch is this like co- almost like cosmic horror-esque, like <laughs> bizarre, you know, a dream, dream logic awkwardness, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that is actually a perfect description of what the combo of those two become Tim and Eric Awesome Show. Good job. It's like this, this, and, and, you know, and we'll talk soon about how they got real people off of, or, or amateur actors off of Craigslist. They got those like genuine reactions from their everyday people, actors, and then also added all this editing shit, just threw all this stuff into the pot to just create absolute chaos, completely controlled absolute chaos, uh, to, to, to get the product that is 
Tim and Eric, awesome show. Good job. The show premiered at the same on the same night as Saw of the Mole People, so it was a one-two punch of we're not doing just cartoons anymore. We're not. We're doing live action. You're, we're doing live action on the cartoon block. Deal with it. And uh, one was a runaway success, and the other was Saul of the Mole People. <laughs> so let's talk about process for a second here. I love this quote, again, from Lusson Hop. At the beginning of each season, we would have one big group writing day, which would last maybe four hours. In the weeks leading up to it, I would just think up stuff and have a big list of ideas. On the writing day, each person would pitch theirs. We'd have categories like fake commercials, Tim and Eric wraparound concepts like the plot where their families were competing against each other, and then mood pieces. That's what it was, mood pieces, which were things that are not necessarily going to get an obvious laugh, but just something that's weird and sets a nice mood for the show. Tim and Eric themselves, they'd meet at one of their houses or a coffee shop and brainstorm or bring ideas to each other. Eric said, and whatever makes us laugh, we just write that down then, distill it, distill it, and distill it. And once we have a good core outline of whatever it's for, then we'll individually go off and start the script. Often Tim will start the script and I'll punch it up and add things, but it's a very 50-50 kind of collaborative thing and very organic too. Eric said, our rule is as long as we don't hate the idea, like if Tim has an idea that I'm like, okay, I don't love it, but I trust you, We'll still do that. But if it's something that one of us feels very passionately about, then it's off the table. I've got to say, even to this day, 90% of the ideas we both just love and laugh at. It really is truly a bizarrely special relationship we have. Um, and yeah, I, I, Tim has spoken about how he feels like he's no good working alone. He always needs that other person. I always used to say, and that's how I work. I work with... Um, collaboration when it comes to sketch comedy I think other things I'm better alone but when it comes to sketch comedy like I have to bounce have someone to bounce off of to play with to create characters with and I always say uh, the best sketch comedy is the stuff you come up with with your buddy and you're laughing out loud about it and making each other laugh and it's impossible you're kind of you're maybe a psycho if you're doing that alone Comedy uh, is inherently a social project. Like, the yeah. reason why animals laugh is to assure each other that they're safe, that they're welcome, that they are part of an in-group. Like, it's a deeply intimate thing. And I think because these guys were not coming from the L.A. scene, they were not coming from the New York scene, they were not part of the Chicago improv scene, it was literally two college kids in Philadelphia who just built this thing on their own and put it out there that it really stands out and it really feels intimate. Jake, I just feel like you're trying to out-comedy nerd me, all right? You're bringing up animals laughing and, and science. We've got Kafka. I can't keep up. I can't. I, I, I get it. I give up. You're the bigger comedy nerd. The point is, it's funny <laughs> to joke about child abuse. Play that clip from the <laughs> Steve Manahan's uh, Child Clown Rental Sketch. <laughs> Um, however, for Awesome Show, a third entity is needed a lot of times, and that is another actor. Eric said, we had an outline of stuff, and we asked the actor we're working with if they mind if we throw them stuff. And they're usually like, yeah. So it's this really interactive thing where we try this, try that, and oh, that's the joke. Let's go down that path. It's very open. A lot of the times we'll have a group of people, and it isn't working, and someone says one funny fucking thing, and we latch onto it together and make the sketch about whatever that guy just said. So it's really about sticking to the real core funny part of it. Tim said, 
It's not just, hey, let's show up to a park and see what we get. It's all about what has the highest potential for working. There's always an outline and we have a, have good confidence in. But then there's also real-time writing on the fly. Comedy should be very quick and not something you argue about too much or analyze. I love this quote. Comedy should be very quick and not something you argue about too much or analyze fret over. You, got, you go out there in the field and improvise and cut it down to something really small. And I love that comment. I I. I I always say this about especially the rough draft, like just get it down. And I know that a lot of people say that. A lot of people say that even about like writing a rough draft of fiction or whatever it may be, right? But I really do agree like if it's flying, flying, that's when it really works. When you're just with somebody and and you're just line after line after line and together you're just you're going it feels like um it feels like someone took the brakes off the car and we're just going to go forward no matter what happens and we're not going to go wait 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 wait. What would be, you know, what would the correct like structurally, what would be the correct thing to do right here? Then you've already lost it. You know what I mean? And I think that especially speaking towards the element of surprise, the element of defying expectations, I think when you're not stopping to analyze too much and you're literally just trying to come up with the most surprising expectation diverting thing that you could possibly say to your writing partner is going to be way more effective than being like, okay, what would Monty Python, like, what, what, you know, what, what, what needs to happen here to heighten to get to the third beat of the scene? You know what I mean? Like, it just never the is The very good. idea that there's, there would be like a in-depth writing room fight over like Paul Rudd being like, show me Celery Man is like bizarre. I can't even imagine it. And I also like the idea, it's like, they come in, they have an outline, it's not just random, they're not just like, like he said, we don't just go to the park, like, we don't just go somewhere, wear a funny costume, like, do, you know, and just fuck around, like, they do have that structure in place, but they're willing to just go with what's funniest as well, and especially if things aren't working, they're willing to find the funny, as opposed to being stuck in, um, in whatever they wrote, Ahead of time. The poor and PA that, that had to get all that shrimp and white wine for the Beaver Boys. Sketch. I think a lot about the prop people. I was watching <laughs> that gravy one with the gravy robbers and just be like, oh, just pouring gravy all over everything. Just the cleanup crew for so many of their sketches. It's just disgusting. Uh, Tim said, and again, I love this exactly how I feel about making comedy. I'm trying to make Eric laugh and the cameraman laugh. And he's trying to make me laugh when he's on camera. And that's always at the heart of everything we do. And that's really the end of the conversation. I think a lot of times when you watch comedies getting shot, you there's a lot of having to be quiet and having to try to not laugh. I think they skirt around it a little bit with those editing tricks and stuff. Mm-hmm. With the with the fact that it's so wildly edited in these in these ways that they can actually just genuinely try to make each other laugh. And it's always gonna have this weird cut 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 kind of vibe to it so they can just do it and and it doesn't ruin a take per se which i think is uh, another great great addition when it comes to uh the editing yeah so they also bring this energy to others on the show they have uh the art department totally gets to just swing for the fences with their own ideas their own visual jokes and of course the editors of as well eric said the editors are given all of this footage and we're like we don't want to come in until you guys think it's hilarious people aren't just pressing a button they're thinking about it and i do like that idea too they're just like just fucking make it great (laughs) I don't even care. And I think that's also, you know, about talking about killing your your darlings, right? In in comedy. I like that idea that they just want the funny product. They don't need their vision to be this 
perfectly executed thing necessarily. And uh, again, I really appreciate that about process. I think that's so important with comedy, with anything else. But I know just with comedy, it's so important to be able to be like never stuck on one joke or one idea or one, you know, one uh, approach to the scene, you know. And just like you talked about with them fixing that one sketch with the editing, creating that like weird rhythm piece that they created with that one sketch instead of the scene they wrote. And I think that's, uh, uh, again, just very smart approach for sure in that same uh interview uh it's like i found it on the archives for a special thing.com if you are an old school comedy nerd uh, that name should send shivers down your spine where they almost didn't want to refer to it as a sketch show they were like still in the pilot stage and they were like sketch is almost too broad is too too substantial for what we do it's more like just a potpourri it's just like individual flakes of ideas all hitting you one after the yeah. other I'll take that. I get that for sure. Uh, another thing I love about them. So Murder Fist, we had a few rules in our group. And one of them was no politics. Uh, another was like, and generally no like pop culture reference, like mo- current pop culture references. Uh, and a third one was no reoccurring characters. And that actually was a rule that I came up with because I kind of low-key hated Mad TV for this. <laughs> and I had issues with SNL for, for doing this as well. Because wait, you know, and you said you're you're you still feel resentful that the group wasn't profitable right off the bat? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, I super hated when they would do you know like let's take oh the wor- most egregious one I think for me personally is the Matt TV he look alike a man character uh, that I actually Ms. love Swan. that yeah Miss Swan I hated Miss Swan because like that first time I didn't even think it was that funny the first time by the way love that actress loved her in marvelous Miss Maisel she's great um, but yeah look alike a man I was like oh this is kind of funny and then every single week it was like just a different location the exact same sketch. Just the same structure, everything, the exact same. And I couldn't believe how many times they recycled the same sketch over and over again. I hated Mango growing up. That was like mm. kind of funny the first time. And like every celebrity obviously walked in and be like, I want to do that Mango sketch and just did the exact same sketch just with well, a different Mr. person. Peepers, let's, I'm a Mr. Peepers defender if we're just going to shit kinda, on Chris Kattan. I, you know what? I'm kind of cool with Mr. Peepers. I'm <laughs> all not right, going to lie. Right. I kind of dug Mr. Peepers. That was very Kattan physical. squad, stand firm. <laughs> that was, I'm, I'll, I'll go down. I'll go, I'll, I'll go to bat for Mr. Peepers a little bit. The exception that, very... that proves the rule, Mr. Peepers. <laughs> Always. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, Eric, I think Tim and Eric felt the same way. And here's a quote from them about that. Whenever we see a character getting popular like Beaver Boys, we kill them off. We do the opposite of what SNL would do, like just run with them, uh, run them to death. It's a weird self-destructive thing. Like whenever something's threatening to get too popular, we're like, you got to go. We need to find something new. And Tim said, you don't. I love this. Oh, best quote, man. This exactly sums it up. You don't want to re-record your best Record, And I think that speaks towards what I was getting at with like Miss Swan. It's just like you do it over again. Every single time you do it, it's weaker than the last time you did it until you just do it so many times that it's just there's literally nothing there anymore. It's like a husk of a comedy bit. And uh, I firmly uh, believe in that as well. And it's tough with comedy. You're always having to, you do, you know, I mean, stand-ups talk about this too, how it's so different from a musician. Musician can get up on stage and play their same hour of hits if they want, you know, night after night after night, year in, year out, right? But a comedian is constantly forced to 
Come up with the new. You can't just do your same hour every single year. People saw it and they're done with it. But it's it, that is what it is, and, oh, and I, I I agree completely. Can I derail the podcast with a really sad memory you just summoned? Sure, please. Uh, I saw Mitch Hedberg live uh, like oh. a year before his death, and at one point in the show, he became so like out of it and disheartened that he literally lied on. And this was like a theater show. This was not like a weird club walk on. He lied on the floor and just asked people to yell out the jokes they wanted to hear. Ugh. And like someone would just yell out like old punchlines of his and he would just repeat the joke and the crowd went wild for it. And I was like existentially horrified. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tough, especially when you're that kind of comic. I mean, Mitch Hedberg was absolutely brilliant. Uh, Tim and Eric actually touched on this kind of phenomenon that you're talking about because uh, there's an amazing episode where Steven Spielberg buys the rights to a spaghetti movie and Tim has to get like reconstructive facial surgery to look like spaghetti and people like stop him in the street and ask him to do spaghetti and like people are like. Hey, man, I love you. Can you spook my kids? <laughs> and he was like, oh, yeah, sure. Uh, spaghetti. And he's like, oh, no, no, wait. Come on, come on. Do it big. for the. I got I got my camera out. And he was like, spaghetti. <laughs> it's like really tragic. <laughs> and, of course, the show is known for its amazing cameos who are either champions of the indie comedy scene or icons in counterculture media. You've got for comedians, Zach Galifianakis. I feel like every episode I watched when I went back through and watched a bunch of Tim and Eric over the past couple of days, had Zach Galvanakis at some point. I mean, he just went so well together with him. Did he do, uh, it's between two ferns is so Tim and Eric. Did he end up coming up with that after that was after Tim and Eric, right? Technically that was Scott Ackerman, but like by this point they were all Tim and Eric, uh, Dan Harmon, uh, Scott Ackerman, like all of these, L.A. comedy yes. uh, alt darlings were just kind of trading and cross-pollinating and we're all like sharing ideas with each other. Of course, you've got Bob Odenkirk, Will Forte, Maria Bamford is amazing on it. Weird Al Yankovic is great. A lot they of Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, a lot Jeff of Jeff Goldblum. Goldblum. Well, there was a whole part in that behind the scenes where they're excited just to get Jeff Goldblum. He originally did uh, Tim. Uh, he did Tom Goes the Mayor. Originally, mm -hmm. and they were, and there's this behind the scenes of them singing a song about how they got him, and they're so excited. So clearly, they they've always been big fans, which makes sense for his his approach, his acting style. Uh, Fred Armisen, uh, even the uh, editor we mentioned, he ended up uh, being a lot of the reason why Portlandia was a success. Doug Lussenhop, our editor, uh, so that makes sense. That pedigree is there. Patton Oswalt, Ben Stiller, and many many more. Um, of course, Bob and David actually met on. On the Ben Stiller show uh, as writers, and that's how they ended up going off and doing uh, Mr. Show. There's also legendary actors, as you mentioned, Jeff Goldblum. We've got Ray Wise from Twin Peaks. He does a ton of stuff, and it did a really good, he was in a really good Beach House music video that Eric Warheim directed. We'll talk about Eric Warheim's music video directing in a little bit, but he's great. Ted Danson, Danny Trejo. You also have musicians like the freshly canceled Mar Marilyn Manson. You've got Dave Navarro in there. Um, and others, and obviously there's a big, I think maybe Eric more than Tim, but both of them clearly very passionate about music, and that it, you see that in a lot of their work, but also in just the fact that Eric Warheim goes off and makes a lot of musician friends and ends up directing their videos. Tim actually releases, has like 
he releases his own albums too. He makes music on the side as well. Mm, that's right. Yeah. No. Never mind. Yeah. They're both real. But real big uh, I music. think it's more that uh, Tim, you know, settled down a little bit. He has kids. He has yeah. a family. While Eric is like still this globe trotting, like kind of party boy, even into Which is his forties. Hilarious 40s. you just say that, considering what he looks like and his general his general persona. But yes, he is. I uh, mean, he, there was a reason he why he was Aziz Ansari's best friend in Master of None. It's because yes. like he really does just hang out and go to Italy and like. And they live made it that up. they made that awesome music video together for Famous. The unaffi- yeah. I was actually watching that a little while ago because I totally <laughs> forgot about that. That's just Eric Warheim and Aziz Ansari. Just just like in Italy with just doing dumb shit while the music video or while the song uh, famous by Kanye West plays. <laughs> when it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a Remax agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. Remax is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit Remax.com or download the Remax app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 Brand Spark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Then, of course, oh, and they also even got Tommy Wiseau. They were even working with Tommy Wiseau on his own project, but they ended up splitting on it because, oh, I don't know, creative differences. I'm sure that wasn't completely chaotic and horrendous. So Tommy Wiseau is a very good kind of transition uh, Mm -hmm. figure between these nationally known celebrities and superstars and then these kind of uh, outsiders that they start bringing into their circle and kind of adds to this. Let me use the key word of the day, grotesque to their show where you don't know, like, are they making fun of these people? Like, where did they find these people? Is this a joke? Does this person even know they're being filmed? Um, you know, people like uh, uh, James Qual, the bad impression, like weirdly intense comedian, uh, Richard Dunn, the spindly old man <laughs> character actor, uh, and uh the the king the the Salome puppet master unlucky in love lucky in Christ uh, David Liebehart who uh, you know gives that solid public access vibe and really lends a sense of surrealism to the proceedings. Then, of course, there is John C. Riley, born and raised in and around Chicago, Illinois, as one of six kids in his family. He was known as a troublemaker. He went to college for theater, then got his first movie role in the Brian De Palma war film Casualties of War. The director liked him so much, he ended up expanding his role, giving him more lines, and after that, he played a member of the NASCAR crew in Days of Thunder, which I totally forgot about, which is hilarious <laughs> as, as uh, you know, his first big comedy. Comedy was Talladega Nights, but uh, either way, he um, 
He was uh, did a bunch of supporting roles all through the 90s. But in 1996, he ends up getting his first collaboration with Paul Thomas Anderson, playing a homeless man in his debut film, Hard Eight, which leads to, I think, a breakout for both the director and the actor, uh, P.T. Anderson and uh, John C. Riley. John C. Riley goes on to be in Boogie Nights, which is this big breakaway success. Magnolia, which I super love. Very good as a dramatic actor in that. Other critically acclaimed works as well. And in 2006, he ends up making this interesting transition. He goes from being this very, like, very uh, well-regarded, serious actor, and then he co-stars in Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby, and it marked this total sea change for him. Of course, a lot of people know him best as in Step Brothers, you know, with... Mm -hmm. uh, Will Ferrell, but after Talladega Nights, Riley became known for his character on Tim and Eric named Dr. Steve Brule, a camera-shy news reporter who is also terribly attracted to his co-anchor, Jan Schuyler, uh, much to the chagrin of her uh, husband. John C. Riley said... I met Tim and Eric when they were doing Tom Goes to the Mayor, and I did a voice on that. Then they said, we've got a new show we're going to be doing called Awesome Show. Do you want to do something on it? And I was like, yeah, I'll just come in and start doing something on the green screen, and that'll be it. And they had the, those characters, Jan and Wayne Schuyler, on uh, Tom Goes to the Mayor, and it just struck me as really funny, a married news team. So, we, so I said, I really love the married news team. Why don't I do something in their world for the new show? And they were like, great. And we just started filming it, kept doing it, and it kept being fun. The characters kind of transformed over the years. And now here we are, season three. But I think that you, you, when you think of Tim and Eric Awesome Show, good job, you think of Dr. Steve Brule. He is a bit synonymous. And John C. Riley's acting. And this is why I'll also say, stop doing bad on purpose acting, everyone else. <laughs> it's been done. It got, it was been done so many times, especially on this show. And they actually got real bad actors to do real bad acting. They also got really good actors to do really good on purpose bad acting. And that is definitely the uh, best uh case uh for that is definitely in john c Riley's performance as dr steve brule for your health <laughs> i i just will always crack up whenever he just uses a childish insult after describing his sad life <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's really a fascinating character obviously we'll, we'll get to the spinoff in just a second but he's so such a fundamental part of the show and again you see that awkwardness that office style the office style awkwardness mixed in with that uh david lynch style fever dream awkwardness so the show ends up running for five seasons from 2007 to 2010 it gets two specials that aired after that for a total of 50 episodes there's also a film we'll talk about and a spinoff that we i just mentioned but uh we'll get to those in a sec they also did a web series for the site super deluxe called tim and eric night live it was a uh, parodies talk shows and has their usual public access tone but yes in 2012 they did end up taking this thing and making it into a movie that is has very it has since gained quite a cult following but definitely was pretty panned right up top this came out in 2012 it was directed written by and starring tim and eric and it follows them as they are forced to reopen an abandoned mall to pay back a wasted billion dollar loan the rest of the cast includes uh, regulars from the show, Zach Galifianakis, Will Ferrell, John C. Riley, Ray Wise, uh, who I mentioned, the father from Twin Peaks, Jeff Goldblum, Bob Odenkirk, and Will Forte. All of those people, of course, were in the original show, and there are many others as well in the film, but those are some of the biggest hitters. And it was shot in California. They used the abandoned desert Fashion Plaza in Palm Springs as their Swallow Valley Mall. And uh, yeah, it's, it's chaos. It is two-hour-long sort of version of Tim and Eric. And, um, 
you know, I think it's that fucking late night, throw it on, very, very fucking toasted, uh, and see what happens kind of movie. To quote the Roger Ebert review, um, <laughs> it starts off with, there is a scene in this film where a character is defecated on by several people at the same time, and I don't know, dot, 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 I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> The purpose of a cult is exclusion. If you're not in the cult, you are by definition lacking some essential quality shared by its members. Those inside the cult can feel privileged, even gifted, by their ability to get it. I was willing to get it. I was sincerely prepared. But <laughs> at the end of this experience, I concluded that there was nothing to be got. <laughs> he goes on to describe the plot of the movie, and then he ends his very short review with, I can't keep this up. Describing the movie is bringing down the level of my prose. As faithful readers will know, I have a few cult followers who enjoy my reviews of bad movies. Those have been collected in the books I hated. I hated, hated, hated this movie. Your movie sucks. And uh, a horrible experience of endurable of unendurable length. This movie is so bad, I couldn't even inspire a review worthy of one of those books. I have my standards. And then he closes it out. But isn't that, at the end of the day, you know... <laughs> The way it should be. I do love too that he was like, I was willing to get it. Like it's like the 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 you know the parent or the adult trying to like be cool with the kids. Like I, I promise, yeah. I I wanted to like rock and roll, but I just can't get. You know, I just like think jazz is a higher form of art. Yeah, I, it's it's um great. Yeah, that that's that's correct. Also, I do love that they had celebrities and fans sign a document ahead of the release of Billion Dollar Movie called the Billion Dollar Pledge. Promising not to pirate the film, but also to not watch the movie The Lorax as it was their <laughs> box office competition for the weekend, which is hilarious because obviously The Lorax was uh, not exactly uh, what you were choosing between if you were a fan trying to go see Billion Dollar Movie, I think. By this point, uh, they had started Absolutely Productions. Yes. You might know famously that little end card at the end of a lot of their of all of their works with uh, that's actually Absolutely. That's Tim Heidecker's dad uh, during a Disney World vacation. The prompt was, please describe this vacation in two words. And that was his response. So I do think that perfectly sums up the comedy approach of Tim and Eric It's the in that response. Not only is it not two words, it's <laughs> one word broken up and it does nothing to describe the... <laughs> nature of the vacation, right? I mean, in every way, it subverts expectations, right? Like, nothing about it is what was asked for. And I think that that's so much what they do with the show. Like, every time... There's also just, like, a very quiet desperation. There's, like, a level of, like, very wild-eyed, like, beleaguered dad energy yes. in that response. absolutely. Yeah, for sure. It's, like, awkward in all the right ways. Like, the way he looks. It's also, it's like a 90s home video recording, <laughs> and it has that vibe to it. You know, it does, it just does everything to subvert. One of my favorite moments in Tim and Eric is the the I got long legs song I was I was hoping to catch it. I forgot what episode it was in I, it's in cats I believe in the first season now I got long legs I got long I'm, I'm butchering the song right now but they have these cartoonishly long legs and they're walking in the clouds and they're so happy and it's this happy video and then it cuts to like under the clouds and their giant feet are like murdering people and smashing cars everywhere to sight it's like total violent insane chaos and again i think that that's exactly what they always did just always served something up teed something up and then and then just gave you any like nothing you thought was uh the reality they give you they just completely twisted upside down um 
It's always funny. Within within the absolutely productions, they're getting deals for uh, like web content because again, this is a, the TBS is pumping money into comedy through Super Deluxe. Adam dot com uh, greenlights a bizarre animated series about uh, conjoined twins who are joined at the penis called Stephen and Stephen. <laughs> uh, absolute vodka. Hires doing, them yeah. to make a series of ads, and I With think that's Zach like a big, and that a big awakening for like oh millennial humor. Yes, commercials uh, in advertising, and advertising in general started doing their thing, but they also started doing a lot of advertising. They even said in comments they were like, "Yeah, I mean, well, we might as well like instead of getting ripped off, we might as well do it ourselves." And a lot of times, it's it's still very fun and funny for them. But yeah, a lot of. Their production company is being used towards that. Also, shout out to their producer, Dave Kneebone, known as the straight man at the company. He handles the business end of everything. But also, they go on to just do all those alt-comedy TV shows that you know and love is an absolutely joint for the most part. You've got the Eric Andre show, Comedy Bang Bang, Nathan For You, which is this perfect, uh, like, undercover camera show show version of, of a Tim and Eric uh, of course, there are two movies, Tim and Eric's Billion Dollar Movie, also Mr. America, which was Tim Heidecker's mockumentary. Well, that's an, ex- I mean, we can't get into it, but yeah. the AdultSwim.com series on cinema, which features yes. uh, Greg Turkington, who you uh, comedy nerds will know better as Neil Hamburger. But at this point, he might actually be better known through on cinema, where it was kind of almost a response to the Roger Ebert um uh, review and the bad response that uh, the billion dollar movie got where they're just like, fuck it. Oh, you, yeah. Like we like all movies. Every movie's great. Like, sorry, we didn't make a movie. You assholes liked. <laughs> um, and that built its own lore with the series within a series Decker, um, which then builds to uh, this fake lawsuit and this uh, murder trial that kind of plays into the fire fest. There was like a four or five hour trial that was filmed with Tim Heidecker uh, and Mr. America kind of blends into that. The Eric Andre show uh, not only shares DNA from by being produced by Absolutely, but uh, Doug uh, Lusenhop actually helped with the editing on yes. that show as well Which and makes defined so much that sense. style. Makes so yeah. much sense. Yeah, I mean, Eric Andre, if you go back and watch Tim and Eric Awesome Show Good Job, you'll immediately be like, oh, this is just, Eric Andre is just an extension of, of this thing. Um, and as mentioned before, you've got Check It Out with Dr. Steve Brule, the spinoff with John C. Riley's character that ran for four seasons twenty four and 24 episodes starting back in 2010, a parody of human interest shows, and his interview segments are all fully improvised, which means the reactions from the guests are genuine, and they are all non-actors as well. Those doctors are actually doctors, etc. Um, Riley has said that they shoot enough footage for a 30-minute show and then pare it down to 11 minutes. So they just get a ton of improv stuff. It's a lot. It seems like almost looser even than uh, Tim and Eric was. And in post production, as I said, they f- would feed the the footage through an old video cassette recorder, an old VCR, and um, smash it with their fists and stuff to get those weird jumps and things, which I think is great. And again, nailing that old '90s, early 2000s aesthetic so perfectly with the awkwardness and everything. It kind of comes full circle uh, in 2015. Absolutely Productions uh, produces with Bob and David for Netflix. They yeah. actually get to produce the uh, reboot of Mr. Show. Yeah. And they really knock it out of the park these past few years with Tim and Eric's bedtime stories. Yeah, that's like a Twilight Zone inspired anthology series. Incredible. Truly incredible. Uh, some episodes like uh, Butter 
and Sauce Boy. Uh, oh my God, Sauce Boy's fucking incredible. It is yeah. tr- amazing. Eric describes the thread of the whole series being, quote, just a universal tone of life is a real nightmare. So <laughs> that take that. Yeah, it's very steeped in horror. And uh, yeah, it's very, but a lot of their stuff is, I mean, I was even watching, like, I love the music video. Um, I'm a big fan of Charlie XCX and Eric Warheim did a music video for her. That's like weirdly like a horror thing <laughs> at the same time of being this fun pop music video and uh they just they're great with that kind of stuff then there's of course beef house the show is a parody of 80s and 90s american family sitcoms it has eric and uh actress jamie lynn siegler who you might know as willow from the sopranos as a married couple who live with eric's best friend played by tim as well as a trio of older men that live with them they have had six episodes so far starting in back in march of 20. 20 and again i think with between bedtime stories and uh beef house in a lot of ways they're starting to really transition to and come more into their own as actual script writers which is Mm -hmm. cool to see and trying to get away from that super loose approach and and challenge themselves to uh hone it in a little bit more shall we say while also continuing to do their bizarro old comedy stuff hopefully i mean hopefully adult swim continues to uh, support them i know that there's been so many changes in the guard over there but uh yeah i'm very excited to continue to see them put out work man they're amazing i mean they've done so many uh live shows as well all over the place doing some interesting stuff and some challenging stuff for audiences uh you can definitely catch them out and about though too with their uh, bizarre approach um i'm sure they uh already regret inspiring the uh puppy monkey baby ad campaign for mountain dew sure um among other again Truly horrific and cynical attempts to latch on to the uh, absurdist humor that they were tapping. Yeah, I mean, to the point where I'm like, and again, I'm going to repeat this, like, stop doing bad acting on purpose. I see it a ton, especially in, like, super low-level amateur, like, improv sketch comedy stuff. Stop doing the public access thing. Um, Tom Green did it initially, then it went... (laughs) Now Tim and Eric put their spin on. I just think it's kind of done for a minute. Let's put that puppy down. Maybe just challenge yourselves, like not do what they did. It's so hard to, you want to do it. I think watching Tim and Eric, it just feels so creatively free in this way that again, inspired me really in a lot of ways over the course of this past week to really jump back into sketch comedy. And I miss that freedom. I miss, I miss that blank page situation that you have with sketch comedy that I felt like the sky was always the limit when it came to that stuff in ways that, you know, it's not that way when it comes to trying to like write and actually make a movie or something like that, you know, like, but but in a three page sketch, you could just do such crazy, insane nonsense choices and put it up for people and see if it works, see if it doesn't. So, uh, yeah, I love, I love how, how free and unique and interesting their vibe is and how much it did change comedy and it just changed like you said i mean making uh putting thing pe- real people up on the screen putting put you know putting like do making choices that are so insane and out there up on the screen open the doors for so many other comedy projects and old spice commercials and <laughs> how amazing is that <laughs> uh, it was like it was getting real there, there were real aroboros hours when uh, totinos literally hired them to just do dumb Totino's pizza roll commercials. 
like fucking get paid because they were going to do it without him. Like I but, said, uh, you know, they stated yeah. that they were like, well, we're going to get ripped off. We might as, be the, might as well be the ones doing it. Uh, you know, commercial gigs. Those are some decent, decent cash. So uh, why not? Uh, but it's. They're at once completely original and at the same time tapping into a deep vein of art and creativity where everyone from uh, Dave Letterman bringing on Bud Melman and like having people be like, is this guy for real to, uh, you know, Gulliver's travels with all the scatological humor and classic satire and farce like there's at a certain point. Uh, and I, th- I I genuinely believe these two college kids around 2001, 2002, prime Bush years, election was stolen, everything's bullshit. And you kind of just like have to sit back and laugh at it all. Mm-hmm. And that kind of nihilism is at once like can be dark and scary and upsetting, but it's also supposed to be freeing. If nothing matters, then that gives you so much of a gift in life to do what you want and to make the things you want. Totally. And um, the... Uh, the, gro- the grotesque is with us. It's alive and well. It's, uh, I, I just think it's as neat. It's from the Italian for grotto, as in literally art that came from a dank cave. And it's just uh, Tim and Eric tap into it, and it makes the darkness funny. It makes the absurdity funny. It makes the, uh, the fact that we're, we all got gross, wet mouths funny. All right, I got a big juicy quote coming in to close it out. Do you have anything you want to say before we put this one in the can? Uh, Mary, I demand that you end the episode with Pierre singing "Doo Doo Doo," which <laughs> is uh, just I, I, let's just think about our dads as we go. as we close it out. All right, perfect. All right, here you go. This is from John C. Riley, uh, and he's referencing "Check It Out" here, but I think he's also really speaking in general about the work of Tim and Eric as a whole. The show is not designed to be like oatmeal that everyone can enjoy. It's designed to be like an extreme flavor, and some people get it, and other people, you can't explain them into enjoying it. It just is what it is. If It's like the Monty Python thing when I was a kid. My parents were like, what in the hell is this? Why are you watching this? This is wrong. This doesn't make any sense. I couldn't explain why I liked it. I just immediately knew this is the greatest thing ever. It's embracing chaos and absurdity. That is an acquired taste, but there's a lot more people out there than you realize that are into that. It's not just hip people in their 30s. There's people of all ages, young kids and older people that, I don't know, it's a mystery why certain people find certain things funny. It really touches a nerve with a lot of people. I think one of the reasons that a lot of people are responding to the show and the character is that there's a lot of cynical humor out there right now. The characters are all kind of smug and sarcastic about everything. They have a very world-weary attitude about everything. For all of Steve's shortcomings, he's a really sincere guy. He really loves the things he loves. There's a heartfelt quality to the character that I really have in common with him. I'm not a snarky person. I'm a person who likes genuine things instead of shitting on the world all the time. And uh, yeah, I, I I love that whole that whole piece. And I think we didn't even speak towards the the bizarre innocence of Tim and Eric at the same time. Oh, S- Steve Brule is a modern day Quasimodo, and I yeah. will stand behind that statement as firmly as anything I've ever said. Yeah, totally. So uh, <laughs> there you have it. Tim and Eric, awesome show. Good job. We did it, uh, Jake. And I didn't break down in tears about, you know, <laughs> not being them. So congratulations <laughs> to me. Uh, I also have a Patreon shout out to close out the show. Of course, Patreon shout outs for that $25 tier from Charles. 
I just want to plug a Twitch channel I run with my friends Travis and Alec. I know Travis listens to Wizbrew, so he'll hear this. The name of the channel is Alchemical Nonsense, twitch.tv forward slash alchemicalns. We are small, but trying to build an audience so we can make more awesome content. I do a series where I try to beat every game in a series in order titled Beat the Series Creatively on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Alex streams Dead by Daylight and Magic the Gathering stuff Thursdays at 7 p.m. Travis streams Art Mondays at 8 p.m. And we all stream a Dungeons and Dragons campaign on Fridays at 8 p.m. as well. Damn, that's a lot of shit, actually, man. Good work. With some guests. Nice. It's a fun, inclusive atmosphere, so come hang out with us. Again, that's from Charles. Twitch.tv forward slash alchemicalns. Yow, this has been a fun one. Uh, if you'd like to support us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Oh, it's so good. Uh, we have weekly content. Jake, did you like how I did that? Did that help I mean, people? I also orgasm when I think about how <laughs> amazing the bonus episodes, now over 200 and counting, uh, you get access to when you join the Patreon for only $5 a month. Ooh, right now we're doing the year in review for every single year of the 90s. We just did 93. The games and the movies that came out. Oh, my God, Jake, it's still happening. My orgasm. <laughs> oh, wow. It's fine. Ride the wave. Ride the wow. wave, buddy. And by the way, that's how I sound when I'm doing one of those. Uh, Lexi <laughs> loves it. Uh, you can catch me on Twitch. twitch.tv forward slash Holdnators Ho. Uh, I don't stream as much as those other guys, but I'm pretty cool. You know what I mean? I do some things. We've got Monday, Tuesday, Friday night streams. For me, they're kind of in the afternoon now because I live on the West Coast. But whatever. You get the idea. Oh, Jake. All you got to do is follow me on Twitter at BestJakeYoung to experience my thoughts, drops, and plops. Ugh. And uh, get, a, get a sneak preview in uh, the next week's worth of research because I'm always posting random finds that I think are cool. Hell yeah. And hey, always remember, never stop bruising. And keep on whizzing. For your health. Are you ready, kids? do 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 Now slap your hands. Now spread those wings. Do 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 do. Feather your bangs. Shake your buns. That's nice. Now think about your dad. What should dad like? I want to meet that dad. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Chapter 1. Wayfair welcomes you to the Waberhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the Waverhood, she said, where Wafer helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trinsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus. Hmm? 
You're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home.